and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and it's November, which means that it is convention season. And the two big conventions that are coming up are DesignerCon and Creative Talent Network Expo. DesignerCon will be on Saturday and Sunday, November 11th and 12th at the Pasadena Convention Center. And CTNX will be happening starting Thursday night, November 16th is preview night. And then for the next three days from Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th, you can check out all of the panels and exhibitors at the event. And that event will be held at the Burbank Marriott Hotel. The link for tickets for both of those events will be in the show notes as well as on the website. And there are two other amazing events that will be happening as well this month. The first one coming up will be at the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles on Tuesday, November 14th at 6 p.m. There's going to be a special one-hour presentation and Q&A with Byron Bashforth, the character shading lead on Disney and Pixar's Coco. And tickets for that are available on Eventbrite, and I'll have the links in the show notes. And also on November 18th, at the Windham will be an evening with Lauren Faust, so you won't want to miss that. And tickets for that will be in the show notes as well. So you'll have an opportunity to go to not one, but two conventions, and also hear two amazing people in the animation industry talk about how they do what they do. And this week in movies, had an opportunity to see a number of fine films, both new and old. I went to a Q&A screening of Coco, a Q&A screening of Logan, and also saw the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Cat People, Curse of the Cat People, and Stranger Things 2. I told you guys last week, there's so many movies out right now, both new and old. I highly encourage you to go and see all of those movies. Logan, man, that movie, that movie's rough. (laughs) That is a rough movie, but worth seeing, especially if you like Westerns, which was a key influence for the makers of that movie. But I have to tell you, I think my favorite out of everything that I watched was Curse of the Cat People and Stranger Things 2. Curse of the Cat People was surprisingly moody and sad, which was not what I was expecting from a movie with the name Cat People in the title. And Stranger Things 2 is, it's Stranger Things. It's the 80s. It's everything I love about the 80s, everything I remember from a child, all wrapped up into a wonderfully, beautifully made television show. I really dig it. If you guys love 80s movies, if you love Steven Spielberg, if you love Stephen King, you've probably already watched the show, but if you haven't, Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's well worth your time. And that brings us to today's interview. And I am very excited to be presenting today's guest, Steven Silver, a character designer, instructor, and author. Y'all know Steven from his character design work on a myriad of shows for Nickelodeon, Fox, Bento Box, Disney, and more. He also has his own academy, the Silver Academy. He teaches through schoolism. And we talk about his character design handbook, The Silver Way, techniques, tips, and tutorials for effective character design. 
And I would like to thank Tina Apellis, who is the editor for Stephen's latest book, which is published by Design Studio Press, for making this two-part interview possible. And if you're going to be at DesignerCon this weekend, you can stop by Stephen's booth and you can meet him in person. So without further ado, I present episode 57, Interview with Stephen Silver, part one. How are you? I am doing very well, and I've really been looking forward to speaking with you about your life and your work, because you've helped so many people. I mean, some people that I've met personally and just online and talking to you at conventions, and your new book is great. I've been going through it, and I've been doing some of the exercises myself, and I mean, I knew it was going to be helpful. I mean, there was no doubt about it. I wasn't surprised that I wasn't expecting to get it to think, oh, I wonder if it'll be good. Like, I knew it would be good, but <laughs> I like the level of detail you go into because I feel like you have the mindset of not only this is what works, but this is why it works. And right. this is a good right. approach. And this is why you should approach thinking about it, this, we discussed the thought process behind it. And I feel like a lot of people, that's the elements that's missing. They're thinking, oh, I want to draw something really pretty and really cool, but they're not thinking, well, but why, how would it actually work? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's awesome. You know, I just love hearing just the different people's just as they've experienced in different ways, like even talking to younger kids, like someone was telling me about their 13 year old that was going through the book and was just like, God, they, they're just drawing and they're just, it's so easy for them to follow. And, you know, you just get different um, interpretations of how it works for different people, you know? So it's always just cool. I always knew I just kind of, I just needed to keep it simple. And that's mainly because of my, I'm, I'm so academically just horrible. Like for me reading, I have never really liked that, especially in how to books when there's too much text And I knew, you know, it was going to be important for me just to make sure that I didn't just go too overwordy and maybe just show more examples and again, tap into the why you're making these choices and not just how. I think that's a good way to go because I've gone through a lot of books myself on different topics. And on the one hand, sometimes it's fun to read a giant block of text. And then on the other hand, sometimes you're flipping through a book and you're going, are there any examples here or is yeah, this right, just right, going to be exactly. 20 pages of words? <laughs> right, right. And now do you, so you work at, uh, you work at Nickelodeon? I do. Yeah. I'm a production assistant on the Loud House. Over oh, there. great. Oh, fantastic. How long have you been doing that for? I've been there now for eight months. Eight months. And is that, is that just, but you've been in animation longer or this is just. Uh, no, this is actually my first full-time job in animation. This is actually my, my second career. I used to be an editor and a writer at a publishing company. Oh. I worked there for a couple of years and then I worked at the Denver art museum in their communication department for a while. And then the economy crashed in 2008. So then I did it tech support. And wow. then I went back to school for animation. No kidding. But was animation always a, a passion? Was it always something that you that you liked? It was. It was. When I was little, I wanted to work at Disney. And so I would draw all the time. And I was drawing comics all the time. And I was drawing okay. cartoons all the time and watching cartoons all the time. And then in high school, I took a journalism class. And my attention shifted to journalism. And I did that for a while. But... When I was working at the publishing company, 
I was living up in New York and I met a couple of people that were animators and they were really interesting. And I volunteered at the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art and I joined Women in Animation and ASIPA and all of them were having a lot of fun and working on really cool projects. And then all my coworkers at my job just seemed really sad and depressed. (laughs) And I thought, you know, I mean, they were very nice people. I don't want to disparage them. They They were super nice. But I just remember thinking... But everyone in animation is having a good time, even when they're working on shows they don't like. Right, right. So you got a little sidetracked for a while and you came to your true calling, it sounds like. I think so. I think so. And it it worked out well because, you know, I still love to interview people. So I found that, oh, I can, you know, have this podcast, but then go to my day job and work in animation. So when did you start? When did you start the whole podcast? So this started last February. Oh, okay. What inspired you to do that? What made you sort of want to do this? Just just to kind of get in that inside sort of like scoop, just like, well, what are, what's going through people's heads or the, the journalistic? Yeah, I guess it is. It's journalism, right? But you're doing it in this whole great form, like uh, through interviews. I would say both of those for sure. I really enjoy learning how people tick and I like sharing information with other people. But it was also, I just really loved the radio. When I was little, I had a little radio and I used to record little stories. I would have my, you know, my comic book characters or my stuffed animals talking to one another. And so I would record it. And then when I was in art school, I had a part-time job at an audio recording facility that did audio books for people who are blind and dyslexic. Wow. So I had to learn about audio recording and microphones and sound. And I thought, well, this is... This is really interesting, just the technical aspect of it. And so I decided to do a podcast because I love listening to podcasts and just got down to what I want to do it about. And I thought, well, I love animation and I know a lot of people now in animation. So I'll interview all of them. That's great. No, I love it. I love, I mean, it's every, you know, it's all these things that sometimes people feel like there is a distraction. Oops. Or you've got kind of gone, you know, in, in a different, you know, way, or it wasn't the right thing. It always comes back around somehow, you know, all the information you learned is like, it's all, uh, you can all reuse everything. That is so true. And I didn't realize that until actually fairly recently, because I remember when I went back to school, By the time I got back to school, I was around people that were a lot younger than I was. They had just gone right out of high school, directly into art school. And I was looking at their work and going, oh, man, I'm so behind. But it wasn't until later I realized, yeah, but I have all these other skills that other people don't have because they weren't writing and producing things for 10 years. So it all came together. Yeah, that's the magic of it all. It's beautiful. Absolutely. And I want to talk more to you. Now, usually in my interviews, I always ask people their origin stories, but you have given your origin story before. And it is fascinating about, you know, moving from London to San Diego, starting off doing caricatures at SeaWorld and whatnot. And I just found that absolutely fascinating that you just dove right in and just decided, you know what? I want to draw, so I'm going to draw, and I'm going to draw directly for the public, whether they love my caricature or not. So I know you've mentioned it before, but would you mind talking about it just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, it was always just that passion. It wasn't for drawing, you know, so I knew that's all I wanted 
to do. And that's, you know, like you mentioned, it was just going just gangbusters. I just academically, I just, it just didn't work for me. I luckily I had a twin brother that I could cheat my way off through high school, you know, just to get better grades. But the reality is I, I knew for whatever reason, I think, you know, when I was six years old and I, when I remember starting to draw and just felt that it was somehow it was always going to be a part of my life, you know, something you can't explain, you don't understand, you don't know if you can make a career out of it. No one in my family could tell you, give you any real criticism or or even just real advice on being an artist other than be an architect, go to school and be an architect because people don't know. And that's why I think a lot of people get discouraged or they're told all the time, you can't be an artist. And they're told by their friends or your relatives a lot of the time, parents, because people don't believe it's possible. They just see it as being so hard. And yeah, doing the caricatures, I, you know, it was for me, I just started because of Mad Magazine in high school, just doing caricatures, following Mort Drucker and Jack Davis and, and, you know, diving into it. And the biggest thing I'll just say that, you know, again, I've said it before, but it's always, I think it's that the perseverance, you know, when my parents who didn't understand and you thought, you know, you got to go to school, you got to get a degree. That's what you have to do. That's what people do. You got to buy a house, don't rent a house, you know, whatever it is, people have these beliefs. And one of them was going to school until I said, I'm dropping out. And my parents said, if you're going to drop out, you need to, in a loving way, move out of the house, pay for your own car insurance, your own health insurance and do that. And they really it really pushed me to say, I can do this, you know, and I didn't have anything to fall back on. And I think that's just very important, though. I've mentioned it before. It's so important just not to have that thing that you can just it, it, sometimes it's an escape. And I've heard it too much. And especially with musicians, I had a cousin, uh, my wife's cousin, who the parents, you know, this kid was talented, had got an opportunity to go on a tour and get signed. But his parents said, no. You can't do it. You know, he was young. You got to go to school. You got to have something to fall back on. And so he went to school and, you know, he never ended up doing anything with his music to that level. Now he just plays for himself and he's doing different things, but he never got to pursue that dream because that chance came and it went away. And I remember getting into it with the cousins saying, you know, this is just a wrong approach. Just you can always go back to school, you know, if you need to. And I think that's important. And that's for me. I just knew that this was it. I'm just going to see where it happens and where it takes me. That's really smart. And I remember, I think it was even like I heard an interview with Will Smith saying something similar of, I had no plan B. Acting had to work. And I, I like the right. fact that you decided, you know what, I'm going to make this work. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. I think it's just me. It's making that commitment. You know, it's, it's really those things we've always done in our life. We fell off the bike, but we jumped back on it because we wanted to ride our bike. You know, I mean, you could go on everything that you've ever done. It's like the same lesson over and over again. So that's, uh, it's almost like you're applying it into your just, your daily life. Like, hey, I did that before. I went through that. That's something for me, what I've realized is that so many of the things that I've done in my life, I figured it out somehow and just do it. And again, I'm talking about from a kid, from a little tiny kid and growing up. But when you become an adult, sometimes we forget that, well, we kind of did that before. We've experienced that before. So what's the difference if we do it as an adult? 
you know, try it. You know, funny thing is yesterday I went to the, went to TJ Maxx with my wife and I saw a bike there and I started riding it around the store, inside the store. And the security people were coming out and people were all staring at me, looking at this grown man ride a bicycle that I wanted to buy. By the way, I wasn't just riding it. I wanted to test it. But it's sort of like, hey, I did this when I was a kid. I'm not allowed to do it now because I'm growing up and I have a mortgage. Does that mean everything's cut off now? You're not allowed to be a kid anymore? And, you know, it's funny, even though security, I could see them all on their things. What's this guy doing? Is he going to steal this bike or something? Who knows what was going on? But eventually they kept coming. How are you doing, sir? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks. But they never said, don't ride the bike. <laughs> it's like, we're, we'll just stand and hover. Exactly. We don't really know what else to do. So yeah. we'll just... <laughs> watch you as you test out this bicycle right right this is very unusual we haven't seen this in a while <laughs> there's definitely something that happens when you reach a certain age i think it's like you become aware of all these unspoken and unwritten rules about what's okay and what's not okay and what you should do and not do and i love the fact that it sounds like everything that you've done has just been i'm gonna try it and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, I'll figure it out. And if it really doesn't, I'll just try something else. Absolutely. Everything's like that for me. And, you know, it's, it's important to be, and it's okay to be naive. And I think if you just act naive and just like go through doing things, I mean, don't be stupid, you know, be, don't make bad decisions, but I'm talking about being naive, just going into things, diving deep into, oh, I, I didn't know that was, you know, I didn't know. I, I'm going to submit my work over here to this studio because why not? I didn't know there was a protocol to it or whatever it may be or the right way of doing it or the wrong way of doing it. And I think just having that sort of attitude, you realize that most people, they, they just, we think they're going to react, but a lot of times they don't oftentimes because they don't know how, or they haven't maybe seen it before and they're just not sure how to respond. But the reality is you just, that's the best way to do it. There's a saying, which I love Better to ask for forgiveness than permission, you know, sometimes. And that's almost like the thing you find that you could do a lot of stuff and, you know, oftentimes it can go unnoticed and you think you're going to get in trouble or people are going to say something. Oftentimes they don't. And sometimes they'll say, hey, you can't do that. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to. Again, you're not going to do anything to harm anyone. As long as you're not harming anyone, you could do anything you want. What do you think it is that most artists need to do so that they can have that kind of mindset? Is that purely just from life and hard knocks and trying? Or is there a way, even if you're not super experienced with either working professionally or just working as an artist, that you can develop that in yourself? I think a lot of it's for sure experience as a younger self. As when I was younger, I kind of felt that way, but I didn't understand it. I think as a 44 year old now, I kind of understand it all. And it makes sense to me that it's the right way to go about things. But I think it's really just trial and error. And, and you just, I think the big thing that stops artists all the time is unfortunately, I, I want to say a lot of it's social media in a way because they're constantly comparing themselves and internally they don't have the self-confidence and they keep beating up on themselves because someone's getting more likes or someone's they feel is better than them. So then they don't even put in the effort. And I think the reality is if you just, you just got to decide to switch that mindset and you just need to like write it down and be aware of it and know that I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to see what happens. And, and again, you only you can do that. And I think a lot of people 
before they do or act on anything, they are waiting for other people's acceptance and permission to even do it, whether it's their friends or even family members, they're waiting for that. And one of the top regrets of the dying, based on this top regrets, if anyone's ever seen it, I love it, written by these hospice nurses. One of the top regrets is, I wish I didn't listen to people telling me what I should do or not do in my life as much and just made decisions for myself, so to speak. And I think you just got to do that. And just for yourself, you just got to commit to it. No one's going to help you along in that way. People can't make decisions for you. And I think when you learn that lesson, that you're in it for yourself, and if you can call that selfish, whatever you want, but that you're in this for yourself and that you're the only one who knows what truly makes you happy, what truly fulfills you, what truly makes you content, that's the only way. So if it means writing it down on a piece of paper and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to commit to this, and just do it. But that's what people have to do is get away from looking at everyone else's lives and just decide that this is my life and I'm going to try it. And I'm going to go from this profession to this profession. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try that and just keep, just go. Life is nothing but moments. You know, so I just came back from a, a three week trip in I was in Israel and it's over now. But, and I was telling my wife, I said, you know, what's fascinating that whole three weeks is just nothing but a memory now. Just those memory of those moments that I experience and that's all it is. And now we're just moving on. And I think if you just, again, it's, it's training. It's not, you can't just go, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great concept and say it once and then neglect it and think you're going to remember everything two weeks later. I think you've got to make a daily effort, you know, really doing it. I think that's when it changes. That is fantastic. And I feel like you've done that not only with your career, but with your whole life, because you've had a lot of success. And I feel like it hasn't been on accident. You know, it hasn't just been, oh, I just fell into things. It sounds like everything you've ever done has been very intentional from being willing just to call people and ask if they needed assistance to showing your portfolio to going to conventions to creating apps and self publishing books. Absolutely. You're right. It's just like, it's just the willingness to try. And that's all it's ever been. You know what? I'm going to try and see if I can get into the animation industry. You know, when I was working at doing t-shirts at No Fear and just decided that that's what I wanted to try to do. And then, and I happened to have met someone, not by accident, but some guy who worked as a storyboard artist at Warner Brothers on Freakazoid. And it was, again, it was because I made a conscious choice to show up to these meetings, these monthly meetings that were cartoonist meetings and they had guest speakers, you know, so you're doing all this stuff that eventually it just leads to something. It's always just, I love the concept and the idea. Again, there's a lot of philosophy about this, but you're basically, you're planting the seed and you just water it and you just nurture it and you don't plant a seed and no one go dig it up two days later and wonder if it sprouted yet. You just got to keep nurturing it and keep nurturing it. And that's all you do. So every little thing you get yourself involved in, every phone call you make, every convention you go to, every artist you meet, everything you do is in a way just by your own design of, let's say, free will. You know, you decided free will to go ahead and do this. It's not like a, a fate thing necessarily. It's like, I'm, I'm deciding to get out of the house today and show up at that workshop. I'm deciding to get out of the house today and show up to that gallery showing. I'm deciding, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then 
it's full circle. It's all connected. And that's the miraculous thing about it all, which is how it works. That's wonderful. And I want to talk too, because not only have you put yourself out there with creating really good content, but you're really, really good at educating people and sharing what you've learned in a way that there's not a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of people that do books and want to do different things, but I feel like you can tell that you're very passionate about it. So I wanted to ask you, how did you develop that passion for teaching? So I think it was always inherently within me. I believe in reincarnation very strongly. So I believe I've lived a thousand lives before and every time I've sort of been around, you pick up some more knowledge and for whatever reason in this life, it became very natural to me. And I remember just doing it at a very early age and just, there was just something that was just driving me towards it. And even more so now, I feel like, truly that I know my purpose in life. I know why I'm here and that purpose was to teach. And I think everything that I've done from the designing for studios, doing everything that I've done is all just been not the end result. Just it, what it is, has always been just that little extra bit of knowledge to help me teach and then reshare it and sort of get it out there. And I don't, so I can't necessarily explain how it's, you know, into that level, go deeper, how it's within me, but I just it's just a feeling and I know it possesses me to the sense that I'm just constantly thinking about it. I think that's when you know what your purpose is and what your true passion is, is when, when you're not getting paid for something, when you're taking a walk, when you're just driving from one destination to the next and you keep, your mind keeps coming up with these theories and these ideas and and that thing, then you know, God, this is what I, this is what I truly love. This is kind of what I want to do. And so everything for me now is just that because I feel, I, you know, I really do feel like I make a difference in people's lives and it feels great to be able to, to be able to give that and see someone's eyes sort of shift and see a light bulb go off and there's an energy. And the very first time that I ever taught in a class, which was, I don't know, maybe 20 something years ago. I remember the first time I stood up in front of a group of people, there was like, again, it's bizarre, but there was like lightning bolts going off and light. There was like this energy, like bouncing around that I couldn't even explain. But I remember driving home and telling my wife at that point, may have been my girlfriend at that point. I just said, I, I know what I'm here to do. Because I felt it at that moment. And I think ever since then, I've always just been driven towards it. That is really, really good. I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain it quite that way. But I like it, though. I like <laughs> how you just you just had the sense of this is what I need to be doing. Because some people, I feel like sometimes people have knowledge and they're either afraid to share it because they think, oh, people don't want to hear it from me. Or, and I've seen this. Fortunately, only a few times, but you meet a few people where they're like, no, no one else can know. I have to keep this for myself. And I feel like that's, that, yeah. that's not, it's, it's counterintuitive, but that actually hurts you if you're not sharing with other people. Yo, no, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. And there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of artists. There's countries, you know, like that. I, like, and I was just in Israel and, and just talking to the artists there, there's a very, huge competitiveness there between the artists and the community 
as opposed to collaboration, they're more in competition with each other. Everyone's afraid that someone's just going to, there's not enough and they're going to steal it and they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. And, but that's a mindset with just, I think a lot of different people where they don't want to give any of that knowledge or, or share what they know. But I think if you think with the mindset that, you know, I can do this and, and it may not happen right away, but it's going to come back to me. It's a good thing to do. That is really good. And speaking of, you know, having that mindset, sharing with people and whatnot, let's talk about your book because your new book, The Silver Way, Techniques, Tips, and Tutorials for Effective Character Design. I mean, in a word, it's great. This is a really, really good book. And I'm not just saying that because you and I are talking and having a really nice conversation. I mean, this is a genuinely good and helpful book. So what led you to decide to create a book like this? You know, it's always one of these things. Again, it's always sort of been on my mind and within me. I knew that. And then it was just a matter of timing. So I've been teaching for so many years now, a long time. And I've just, as I'm working with students and explaining things, I was always taking notes myself because as I'm explaining things, I would say, hmm, that's a good way to sort of help them out with it. And so gathering all these notes, I always knew at one point I wanted to do a how-to book of some sort and it was always it was always there again it was just a matter of timing and it was just a matter of just doing it but in reality I had been working on it you could almost say for the last 20 years because with all the notes that I gathered but then even more so it was about the last five years that I was really putting stuff together and preparing it and getting ready so it was really a labor of love and something that I find more joy and passion in the teaching aspect than getting that job at a studio and saying, hey, can you design this or design that? To me, it's just nowhere near as exciting as this teaching process and just creating just stuff and doing it on your own time and and your own way. And, And that's what this really was. Just what led to it was, hey, you know what? The time is right for whatever reason. I'm being guided this way and I'm ready to do this. And just decided that was it. It's a simple word, deciding. i deciding I'm going to do this right now. And when the minute you make that decision, well, start getting that plan going and put it out on paper. Set yourself up with a schedule and start going to town and, you know, see what happens. And that's kind of like was almost like the birth of it. That is excellent. And one of the things that I like about this book is that you stress the importance of gesture and structure and observation over details, because I think that's a pratfall of a lot of people of they want to make it look beautiful. They want to put in lots of details. They want to have it be beautifully rendered with lots of fancy colors and the structure is a mess. Yeah. You know, and that's the last thing. And that's the biggest thing that I tell my students all the time. Just the details come last. It's like just putting that cherry on that cupcake or building that gingerbread house. You know, you got to build the foundation. You got to build the structure. It's no different than anything else. And you're going to furnish a home. You don't start buying all the furniture before you've built the home. You don't buy, you pick all that stuff out. You know, everything So it's all the same. And that's the same with the art and people, they just kind of want to get to the finish. Just going to do that one drawing and boom, get to the finish. And the biggest lesson I learned in animation was having the discipline to draw things over and over again and just simply don't settle. 
And that's the biggest thing that people go through. They settle on that first drawing they do and they just want to, okay, I'll fix it in color. And I believe fix it in the drawing first and then do the color because you can have a beautiful rendered drawing and a horrible color job, but it still looks good. But if you have a beautiful rendered piece and the foundation, the composition, the drawing aspect isn't there, it just looks horrible. It looks like you don't know what you're doing. So it's so vital to make sure that you give yourself the opportunity instead of spending eight hours rendering something, spend eight hours doing 15 drawings to get to that point. You may settle with your first one. You may go back to that, the idea. But the reality is all that time that you're drawing and trying to figure it out and getting that perspective right or that construction of that head right or that hand figured out, you know, and not just blowing it off. And that's what people do a lot of the time. They just, ah, forget it. I'm just going to move on to the next thing. Do you think that's from impatience or do you think they just don't realize there's a better drawing if you just keep going? I think it's both. I think it's not realizing their full potential of just by, you know, learning about what's actually happening and keep building up. But also it's just, unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, it's almost that the social media, this instant gratification. We got to have it now. It's got to be quick. We got to get that. We got to have a screwdriver that's electrical and we no longer need to turn our hand anymore. We got to get the fastest app. We got to get the quickest. It's the quickest of everything. And so that mentality I think has happened in within the drawings too, especially the up and comers. When you look at a lot of these old school guys, the guys that have been around the block and, you know, who are making a lot of the cartoons and they're in their late thirties and, and older, this is all happening for them before the internet. So when they were learning, they were really learning. They were learning from magazines and books and old school illustrators from guys like Rockwell and Lion Decker and Robert Fawcett and Albert Dorn or, you know, comic strip guys, you know, from Hank Ketchum and you name it. And just learning from all these guys and trying to mimic things and learn that way as opposed to there was no, we didn't have to rush so much. And, and that's what's happened now. I think if you learn, and we can do it today. I think if you just learn to slow down a bit and just don't be in such a rush, go with the flow and just don't be in such a rush and just take your time and just do it right and do take the time you need and just be patient. And you don't have to follow the rat race. You know, and that's what's happening. Oh my God, he got a job. I got to get my job. Oh my God, he got this. I got to get this. And so it's this constant, oh my gosh, look what my friend's done. I got to do it too. And it's like, whoa, 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 just pull back, pull back, slow down, enjoy the process. And I think once you truly come to that place, that's when you'll start to see yourself grow because you know that you're trying to do it again for yourself and enjoy the process. What you just described is exactly how we were in art school. Myself and everyone we knew, when one person got a job, it was, we're very happy for you, but then it was quickly followed by, what are we doing wrong? Why are we not also immediately getting hired the week after school Exactly, ends? exactly. And I would almost say it's a sad thing with just mankind, in all honesty, that even though that person did get that job, none of you were really happy for them. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's that piece that's eating inside you 
oh man that's that's awesome dude that's so cool awesome you know but inside you're just like dang it what's wrong with me you know then you start judging yourself like you said you're going through these different things where it's hard just to truly be like Hey, man, <laughs> good for you, you know, it's just like, and that's where sometimes with the Facebook thing, when people post their things, and it's just like, you know, be careful what you post sometimes, you know, about sort of, I don't want to say bragging is not the right word, but it's like when you say, you know what I'm saying, you show something out there, like all of a sudden you got your, your mouse ears on, on the Disney door, and all your friends are sitting there going, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got there's a lot of, and I've done this too, there's a lot of Instagram photos of your name on your nameplate, you know, right. or your cubicle number. It's like, look where I am now. Right. There's, there's yeah, a lot there. I know. And, you know, and again, it's just like, there's a great feeling towards that. But sometimes I think, I, I'd say try to restrain only because... You know, you want to think about your friends. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, it's just your friends, you know, just have that discussion. But be just I think sometimes be careful. Just be careful. <laughs> now, I'm curious, how do you keep everything in balance? Because you have your brick and mortar school. You're doing online classes. You have books. You have apps. You're going to conventions. You have a family. You're going overseas. You know, you're posting online. How do you keep everything balanced just for yourself so that you know, hey, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and also not looking out and wondering, well, what is everyone else doing? I think, you know, even more so in my life, what I've truly come to understand, and it may have taken 44 years, but there was always the seed there. But what I've truly come to understand even more so now is that saying that we've heard a million times that life is a journey, not a destination. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't that an Aerosmith song or something else? And yeah, you think of these other things, but when you truly grasp that life is a journey and you're going to just experience what you're going to experience, whether good, bad, ugly, whatever it may be, that that's just a life experience. And when you embrace that, and you realize that it's part of the journey and everything is giving you the tools to help you move you along at some other point. Like we talked about earlier, your journalism skills have helped you into this podcast realm and everything that it was all part of that journey. And, the, and when you truly realize that there is no destination, there isn't. There's, because I don't care if you get that job at that dream studio, I guarantee you. Within however many months or years of being there, you're going to say, what's next? What do I want to do now? It never ends in that facet. It never ends with art. So when I realizing that, I just know that I'm going to try to experience as much as I can, do what I can. And there was a great philosopher. His name was Wallace Waddles, and he wrote many great books. And one of his things that he wrote was, he said, don't do tomorrow's work today. And that always stuck with me because that's the inclination of most people. We finished what we've set out to do, but then we jump into tomorrow's work because we, we feel, okay, we got more time. We got extra time. So my philosophy, I, I just, I have a, a calendar. I don't use a com calendar on the computer. I just have a paper calendar that sits by my desk. And, you know, every day, every week I have my, I know my fixed schedule where maybe, hey, I got a doctor's appointment or here, I got to be at this, whatever it is that you got those certain fixed things. You may have a class, you may have a, whatever it is, you know, next Wednesday at this time, you got to be somewhere that's fixed. 
Everything else, Monday to Friday, is I write down specifically what I want to accomplish on that day. So I know, like right now I do, one of the things I do, these Skype mentorships with people, meet with people all over the world, but I only do that on Tuesdays. I used to do it every day. And it used to be like, oh my God, do I have a Skype call today? And I was being thrown off all the time because I was plotting. So once I took my calendar and started to say, Tuesdays, I do my Skype calls. Wednesdays, I do my caricatures for all my clients that I do. Mondays and Thursdays, you know, depending on if it's a specific freelance client, depending what I'm working on in the freelance realm. Fridays, I record my schoolism videos. And Wednesdays, I teach. So it's all structured. And then I find I have so much more time on my hands. It's almost like at first you start to feel guilty, but then you start to realize, no, I've done what I need to do. And as long as, you know, I think, you know, just keep active, set goals for yourself, do all that sort of stuff. That's how I kind of approach it. And that concludes part one of my interview with Stephen Silver. Special thanks to Stephen for being an amazing guest. And make sure to check out the show notes for links to his website and to check out the different classes that he offers as well as his YouTube channel. And again, make sure to stop by and say hello at his booth at DesignerCon this weekend. And if you've enjoyed today's interview, you can leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button and leaving a donation. And you can support the show by supporting our affiliate sponsors, Loot Crate, Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on those banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that helps me to pay for the technical costs associated with keeping the show up and running. Thank you to everyone who's left a review in iTunes. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the show. And thank you to everyone who has supported our sponsors. I greatly appreciate it. And I know that the sponsors appreciate it as well. And to find out what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my websites, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at Sketchy Soul. So thank you to everyone for listening. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.